Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com slash support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this podcast, you will hear inspiring testimonies, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Wherever you're listening, we hope you lean in, listen closely, and be blessed. Understanding the triune nature of God as revealed in Scripture is foundational for our faith and can often be confusing, especially for the Jewish people with whom we seek to share the good news of the Messiah. In describing God, our Chosen People Ministry's doctrinal statement is worded as follows. We believe there is one infinite and perfect God, eternally existing in three distinct and equal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each possesses the characteristics of personality as well as the nature and perfections of deity. This idea can be difficult for a traditional Jewish person to grasp. They might be left wondering, how can God be one and three at the same time? Do Christians worship three gods? Volumes have been written seeking to make sense of the Trinity, and for good reason. It is who God is. When we consider the Trinity carefully, we discover that it is indeed a heavy topic but it is one that informs our understanding of God's identity and nature, and ultimately, our understanding of Scripture. In today's episode, we have Dr. Richard Averbeck joining us. Dr. Averbeck has taught at Dallas Theological Seminary, teaching in both the Old Testament and pastoral ministries departments. He also taught for 10 years at Grace Theological Seminary and for the last 29 years at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Old Testament and Ancient Near Eastern Studies. His areas of expertise include the Old Testament, especially the Pentateuch, ancient Near Eastern history and languages, Old Testament criticism, Hebrew, spiritual formation, and biblical counseling. Dr. Averbeck, welcome to Our Hope. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this. Awesome. Now, we know that you have done a lot of teaching, and we figured you would be one of the most expert people to talk about today's subject. Um, But before we jump into it, we want to get to know you a little bit better. So... You're a very busy man. What are some of your hobbies? What do you like to do for fun? <laughs> well, I don't really have much in terms of hobbies. I'm kind of single-minded. <laughs> but, uh, but I do uh, I do like to walk and exercise. Nice. And, and also, uh, actually, I consider counseling. I'm a professional counselor in Wisconsin. So, so I consider counseling as kind of like a hobby, too, because I'm a full-time professor in Old Testament. Oh, that's great. All right. Well, tell us a little bit more about what you do as a professor and as a counselor. 
Well, I, uh, I work a lot in the Hebrew Bible, of course. That's the foundation, especially the Torah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do a lot with ancient Near Eastern languages. Like r- right now, I'm teaching Akkadian, the ancient Near Eastern language that the Code of Hammurabi was written in and so on. Oh, wow. Okay. And so I'm teaching that right now. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm a specialist in Sumerian, the earliest language. Mm. And this is all cuneiform uh, studies. Uh, I do a lot. Also, I have a great interest in spiritual formation. I do a lot with that and write in that field as well as in the field of counseling. All these areas I, I publish in. Wow. Well, that is very cross-disciplinary. So mm-hmm. you're going to have a lot to say about today's topic. Let's jump into it. So Talking about the Trinity, we're just going to introduce this concept first. How would you explain what we mean when we say that God is triune? Well, I think I need to start with the fact that it, triunity, in, in triunity, have, we have one God, mm-hmm. uh, not three gods or anything like that. We have, we have one God, and we use the terminology of uh, in three persons, okay? Now, uh, I teach at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, uh, but don't ask me to completely explain everything about the Trinity. (laughs) This is is one of those areas where there is a lot of mystery, but you would expect there to be mystery in in, in God, okay, in terms of our trying to understand who he is and how he relates and uh, how he wants us to respond. Right. And I think one thing that I'm learning as the years go by is to be comfortable with mystery, the fact that we can never mm-hmm. fully explain who God is, mm-hmm. although we definitely try. And I know for Jewish people who hear that God is triune, it definitely sounds absurd and even heretical. And mm-hmm. so what are some common misunderstandings about the Trinity that some Jewish people might hold? Well, one of the common ones is that we actually are teaching that there are three gods. Yeah. That, that, is, that is one of the common misunderstandings of what we are intending to say. Nobody who was orthodox in the history of the church believed in three gods. We all believe in one God. So that's a big misunderstanding of what we're trying to say anyway. Okay. And then uh, some saying, well, but one God in three, that doesn't make any sense. It's just foolishness, you know, uh, and so those are the kinds of things that are, are misunderstandings. No, that it's applying our mind, our human mind, to trying to understand a God who is the God and therefore the most complex <laughs> uh, thing for us, to, person for us to ever try to understand. Yeah. So uh, we have a lot of revelation. We are very thankful for the revelation, but the only revelation, the revelation can only go so far because uh, we can never measure up to our God in terms of understanding uh, of things, including him. Yeah. Yeah, it is very difficult to fully wrap your mind around this concept. And it's a stumbling mm-hmm. block for many people. So why does it matter that we continue to affirm and discuss the Trinity? Well, first I should say the term Trinity never appears in the Bible. Yeah. In the Hebrew Bible or in, or in the Greek New Testament, never occurs. That's important because that lays a foundation for understanding, well, well then why do we even talk about it? Uh, and that comes from looking at passages of Scripture and seeing, 
that we have this thing about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, all are treated as God, okay? And all are treated as personal God, okay? And, and the result is that we're just trying to make, and the early church councils and so on, just trying to make sense of this revelation. And we've come up with this doctrine called the Trinity or the Triunity of God, because it seems to reflect what actually is said in the text about scripture in different places. And so, for example, we'll have um, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 19, you know, go and disciple uh, people uh, in all the things of God and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, what do we do with that? Right. That's what it tells us to do. And that it's all, they're, they're all three are treated as if they're God and that they're one God, but it seems like they're three persons. And so this is where we get this doctrine. It is, it is a mystery from the beginning in the church, and it's meant to capture what is revealed to us mm. in the Hebrew Bible and in the Greek New Testament about God. And that has been uh, something that's an ongoing, I mean, there's books and books, uh, articles and articles written on um, this to try to capture certain texts in relationship to it and so on. But it is based upon reading scripture. Yeah. Well, let's jump into talking about what the Bible says about the Trinity. You mentioned uh, the verse about the Great Commission, which is the verse that usually comes to my mind. But this concept can be found in the Hebrew scriptures. So one of the most common Jewish objections to the notion of the Trinity is the Shema. Some of our mm -hmm. listeners may not understand what that Hebrew term refers to. So would you, as our guest Hebrew scholar, tell us what is the Shema and why is it relevant to this discussion? Well, Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema, is of course a major passage for everybody who knows God. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the questions is about, well, what does it mean when uh, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad? What, what is that? What does that echad mean <laughs> at, at the end of passage? The word one. Hero mm. uh, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Or in many translations, because one can also mean alone, it, it is translated, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone, meaning the Lord alone is our God. Mm. And uh, that seems to be the intent of the passage, actually. And even the Tanakh, the Jewish Publication Society translation, uses the word alone there. Interesting. And, and, and the important thing about this is that it seems to be suggesting that what, what, what that text is really doing is saying, okay, we have one God. That's the only God we worship. Yeah. And then the following verses unpack that in certain ways. So for example, the next verse, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Well, that passage just continues from verse four, okay? Since there's only one God, who else are you going to love? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you love the Lord, Yahweh. You love him and only him with everything. Uh, and that last expression, with all your might, is Hebrew word ma'od, which means exceedingly. It's an adverb. How does that fit in? Well, I, I think that what it means is you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
and with all your everything, everything you have control of, uh, financially, whatever. In fact, the word in one of the Targums, there is ma'amon, the word for goods. Okay, one of the Targum translations of Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. And then it goes on. It's, it says in verse 6, these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. So if there's only one God that we worship, we shall love him completely and his word should be on our heart. Okay. And then the next verse talks about you teach them three children. Well, well, what's on your heart is what you talk about with your kids. Okay. And so on. And it keeps on going and you display it where we get the mezuzah from, you know, that, that this kind of an idea right. of displaying it even publicly. Uh, so there's uh, uh, the passage needs to be read together. Verse four with what follows, which unpacks the implications of what it means. He's, he alone is our God. We're not going to accept any of these other gods. Okay. That are supposedly out there in the ancient world of the Israelites. And so uh, that's that's what the passage is really about. It's not really talking about he's one versus a triune or anything like that. It's talking about who we worship. Mm. Uh, and it doesn't get at the question of really, can God be a triune? It's interesting. So I didn't know that in the, in the Tanakh, they usually translate Echad as alone. Um, mm -hmm. I've often heard that it can also be translated as a unified one. Is that true? Yes, yes. It it it, it implies all of these things. It's one alone and unified. <laughs> okay, uh, and and this is of course part of what we deal with when we deal with triunity. Mm -hmm. Okay, we use Trinity is one word that we use. We also use triunity because we want to emphasize the unity. And so these are the kinds of things that we face. When we're trying to explain this God that we can't completely explain. And I don't know if we'll ever be able to completely explain him, but we're still going to continue trying. Um, yeah, I, I thought we we're going to really even understand him completely in glory. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to become God. You know no. what I mean? so, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. He's, 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 he's magnificent yeah. and beyond our understanding completely. We could be awestruck for eternity. Yeah, yeah, I think we will be. We'll be right back. Shalom, friends. I'm Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. We recently purchased a beautiful property in Tel Aviv that will serve as a new messianic center with a vision to create a warm, friendly space for Israelis to fellowship and ask questions about the Messiah. So this December, we'd love to have you join us as we dedicate the building right during the festival of Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication. And the entire country is all lit up because there are menorahs everywhere. It reminds us of Jesus, Yeshua, the light of the world. And it's our prayer that this Messianic Center will reflect His light to the people of Israel. There'll be opportunities to walk where Jesus walked, engage in our worship nights, pray over the new center, meet our workers on the ground, and so much more. So please join us. Spots are limited, very limited, but we hope to see you there. So register as soon as you can. To learn more or to sign up today, visit chosenpeople.com slash radio. That's chosenpeople.com slash radio.
Well, getting back to Deuteronomy 6.4, it could have said the Lord our God is king or the Lord Mm -hmm. our God is almighty. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it emphasizes that God is one? Because it wants them to focus on one. Mm -hmm. Only one they worship. In contrast to any other ones that they might believe they're gods, but they don't worship them. You know what I mean? This this kind of thing. And so this is a common issue uh, in the ancient Near East where you could have multiple gods and so on. And this verse is saying, no, you have only one. Yeah. And I think I could be wrong. I think Judaism is one of the first monotheistic religions in the world. And so this is a very dear concept um, in Judaism. I think it is the first. Yeah monotheistic religion, as far as I know, from all my work in the ancient Near Eastern materials. Yeah. And it's still consistent today that as believers in Jesus, we're still monotheistic. But we're going to talk mm-hmm. a little bit more about that in a second. What are some of the other passages in the Hebrew scriptures that would affirm the idea of God's triunity? Well, we have passages that really allow for the Trinity, but we don't have, the Old Testament doesn't teach the Trinity, Mm. but neither does the New Testament, (laughs) okay? (laughs) Again, this is a put together of things that are versed in different passages. So some passages, however, are suggestive of the the Trinity. And I think uh, one really in in Genesis one is a common one that's referred to. uh, And uh, it, it is not, Absolute. But let me, in Genesis 1, verse 26, when God creates uh, humanity, he says, then God said, let us make man in our image. Well, yeah. what is an hour about here? Hmm. Okay. And these are these are the, the kinds of questions. It's interesting, though, that even in that passage with the us and the hour, in next verse 27, God created, singular verb, okay, so you go from the us and our to God, the one, okay? Uh, and he, he created them, yeah. okay, in, in the next verse. So this is the kind of thing that raises this kind of, okay, what are we talking about here? And we get this also in other passages, like Isaiah 6, the call of Isaiah. When you go to Isaiah chapter 6, well-known passage, holy, 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 mm, uh, yeah. leading up to this. And then uh, he says in verse 8, later on in the in the passage, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom will I send and who will go for us? Ooh. There we are again. Yeah. I mean, in this place where we're just observing this. And that's what we try to capture this reality of the way it's expressed in the text in the triunity of God. One thing that maybe isn't talked about as much, uh, uh, well, it it gets talked about when I talked about verse 26, let us make man in our image. There's different interpretations of that passage. Some say that it refers to the Trinity. Well, it's not explicit about that, Mm -hmm. but uh, others will say, for example, in the Bible, we have this divine counsel in which God consults in the heavenly like in Isaiah 6, okay? We have it also in Job. We have it in various second, uh, first Kings 22, the Micaiah incident. He's in the council 
God in the council saying, who's going to go for us to confuse Ahab? Okay. And then the spirit steps up and said, I'll go confuse the prophets and that'll confuse Ahab. This is the kind of thing that we run into yeah. in the text. And it's possible that in, uh, in chapter one, verse 26, that it refers to God saying, let us in the heavenly council. Okay. And then there are others. Some take it, take to us to be kind of like an editorial we. Okay. We know that uh, Telfetari inscription, you know, gives us the image of God yeah. and so on. Well, I'm, I know that. That doesn't mean everybody who I'm talking to knows that. You yeah. know what I mean? It, it's an editorial. There, there are different interpretations of the passage, but it certainly allows for a Trinitarian kind of thinking. Okay about God. And it is interesting that the first three verses of Genesis may raise this question too, because in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And then the next verse, the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and that spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we got the spirit of God. And then in verse three, then God said, let there be light. Well, there's a uh, Targums, the, the Targums in uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 3, when, they, when, when it says in the Hebrew text, then God said, it says, then the Mamra said, mm. okay, which is the word for spoken word. Wow. So the spoken word said this kind of thing. This is like in the Targum Neophyte and Pseudo Jonathan, different forms of the Targum, the, the Aramaic translation of the Old Testament. That seems to suggest the word. This is where I think John gets this in John chapter one, right. where he talks about in the prologue to John, right in the first couple of verses, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And that's what Genesis one says through this Mimra, the word of God is what creates. And so I think that's what the prologue to John is calling upon in the Jewish context for understanding of uh, what's going on in creation. So that this rate, this in other words, this is an issue that we can't say directly, you know, that it that it refers to the Trinity. But we can certainly see that it allows for something like the Trinity, okay, in our understanding of God. So in looking at the nuances of Genesis 1, where it talks about the spirit hovering over the waters and it talks about, you know, the, the word spoken, would you say that in other parts of the Old Testament, we see examples of the different persons of the Godhead? There are, th these are kind, kind of some of the most important ones, I, I, I would say. Yeah. But there are certain things that show up. And one of them, for example, and there's a lot of background to this one, but in Psalm 51, uh, a penitential psalm, mm -hmm. where uh, uh, David is confessing his sin, Bathsheba, Uriah, all of that, yeah. comes to a certain point in that where he, he, he says, uh, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a steadfast spirit within me, okay? Uh, and, and he comes to a certain point where, where he says, 
do not, verse 11 in English, okay, it's verse 13, I think, in Hebrew. Yeah. Uh, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Yeah. This is one of those passages where we get this expression, Holy Spirit, okay, mm -hmm. uh, in, in the Bible, in the Hebrew Old Testament, that causes us to think, what in the world does this mean? Because it goes back to David being anointed with the Holy Spirit when he's anointed to be king and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and the Holy Spirit leaves Saul. You know what I mean? This is 1 Samuel 16. So there's, I think he's afraid that because of his sin, God is going to take the Holy Spirit from him like he took him from Saul. Yeah. I think he's terrified of this and he's he's begging God not not to do that to him because he was the one who was saying trying to calm Saul down when he went nuts. Yeah. Okay. And he went crazy. He saw it. Awesome. Well, thank you for explaining all that. We're now going to pivot from talking about the scriptural background of the Trinity and go into how we can apply this when we're sharing the gospel with people. So the topic of the Trinity is very deep and profound. So much could be said. But let's say you only had a few minutes to explain to a Jewish person how believing that God is triune is consistent with the Tanakh. What would you say? Well, there are a lot of things that could be said. Some of the things I've already said, yeah. but one of the things that gets pointed out uh, and and is discussed when people write about this is is places where one is more than one. So, for example, in, in Genesis two twenty four, it talks about the man and woman becoming man and wife. And they will become one flesh. Well, how does that work? Okay, there's two bodies here. You know, this this kind of thing. It's the unification of two together in this kind of relational way. I think that's a really helpful way to think about what's going on with the Trinity. Yeah. And it ties into uh, the relationality of God by, very, by his very definition, by who he is. Okay, he's very... Uh, relational and in himself there's this relational bond between father son holy spirit that gets expressed in various places uh in in the hebrew bible and in the greek new testament yeah i think that's where i'd start uh and then then you could go to many other passages where uh for example in in exodus 36 it refers to Verse 13 refers to the tabernacle parts being put together so that it's one, echad, the same word. Yeah. Okay. In other words, it's a unified, it's one tabernacle, but all sorts of different parts. Uh, and so uh, this, this word echad is used in these kind of ways. It's the same word as what we have in, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Uh, so again, what I'd want to emphasize to a person if they had the trouble with this is that uh, we don't completely understand it, but the fact of the matter, this comes out in these texts in a way that causes us to think in this way. Yeah. So in thinking about these themes of unity that show up whenever we talk about Echad, 
why does the Trinity matter? And what does it show us as believers in Jesus? Well, it teaches us first that there's only one God. <laughs> okay. And again, you, I, I keep on wanting to emphasize this because of the original problem of thinking there's there's three gods. Yeah, That's what Christians teach. Well, it's just completely wrong. But the fact of the matter is it does matter because there are three persons and uh, somehow, and the fact of the matter is they get involved together uh, in terms of what they do. One passage that is really interesting is Romans 8. This is not often as talked about as much as it should be. Romans 8 verses 26 through 29 where it talks about when we're groaning, the Holy Spirit groans more deeply for us. Mm, yeah. Okay, that we can groan. And then it moves on and talks about, and he groans to who? God, the Father. Yeah. <laughs> okay. According to God's will. And then it goes on and talks about, and we all are, are, are being taken from God to put on a certain path to become conformed to the image of his son. So we get a Trinitarian work of God mm. at the core of what he's doing in every one of our lives. Uh, the Holy Spirit working in accord with the will of God, the Father, to conform us to the image of the Son. So again, th this is all part of the way this is put in the text. And it's very important to be thinking about these in order for our, it, it helps us in our living a transformed life, a life that is conformed to Yeshua. And that's, 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 that's at the core of everything that goes on in the Christian world. And so all the persons in the Godhead are working in unity with each other so that we could be more unified with God ourselves. And in fact, uh, one of the things that stands out is, is that is the connection and the relationship between them expressed in these ways. Okay. John 14 does a lot with this too. Okay. And Jesus goes to the father so that he can send us the spirit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then the spirit and Jesus and the father abide with us. You know, it's like, okay. Um, again, really even going from the start of what we've been talking about, uh, it's trying to capture this. That's what the triunity teaching is all about. Trying to capture just how it's presented to us in the biblical text. As we wrap up, I have a personal question for you. How did you come to learn and believe in this concept of the Trinity? And was it difficult for you? Yeah, I didn't understand it. I grew up with it in a, in a church, but it was not a strong believing church. Mm. And we, we've had problems with social gospel and all this through the, through the, the centuries. Um, what what when I really had to deal with this when, was when I came to know the Lord to begin with. Uh, when I accepted Jesus in college, okay, during the Jesus movement back in the seventies, <laughs> I was one of the hippies who <laughs> oh, that's came awesome. to Jesus, and uh, and uh, it took over my life. And uh, then I began to just study it, and um, and I, I found. That's what it says. You know what I mean? That's just how it puts it. And it helps me to realize that God is a loving God to begin with, mm -hmm. even within himself. 
there, there's a relationality by the nature of what triunity is. And that is, I think, an important reality. God has been relational from eternity. He didn't get relational when he created uh, the world. Okay, and, and, and so this is, I think, an important part of grasping this reality about God. And I remember it impressing me as, well, I don't completely get it. And I still don't, but 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 it's there, and I I just trust God to reveal to me what I can perhaps understand if I really put myself to it and 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 follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit and Scripture. Several biblical truths only make sense if God is triune. For instance, God is love. But how could he love before he created anything? If God is strictly one, then he had no one to love but himself. But since God is triune, he has existed in an eternal loving relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, loving and glorifying one another. This picture of unity should inspire us as followers of Jesus to also be one, walking in unity and love. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Let us know how this podcast has moved you. We would also love if you can share it on social media with your friends and family. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope featuring Dr. Richard Averbeck. This episode was produced by Nicole Vaca and Grace Sweet, written by Rachel Larson, and edited by John Bautista. This episode was also created thanks to Dr. Mitch Glazer, Robert Walter, Kyron Bautista, and Nathan Scherer. I'm Nicole Vaca. Until next time.